Well, I am excited to begin a brand new series here called Love Story. We are dedicating this to the moms. That's why we're beginning on Mother's Day. We're going to conclude this series on Father's Day. We're going to do a chapter-by-chapter study through the book Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, whatever you call it. Uh, We are an ark church. We basically, we like to say we plant life-giving churches. We're part of a church planning organization called Ark Association of Related Churches. And one of the things that we wanted to do as a movement this year is really address relationships. So a lot of our churches are doing a series right now on love story, on song of songs, because we really think that the greatest gift we can give you is help you figure out relationships. If you can figure out the area of relationships in your life, life is just so much better than it could ever be because we have so much breakdown in just unhealthy relationships in the world today from parenting and children and brothers and sisters and particularly marriage. In fact, the research tells us that 40% of the people that are here today have been affected by divorce directly or indirectly through relationship breakdown. 25% of you research would say are at the point of giving up right now, either giving up on a marriage, giving up on a relationship, giving up. And so what we want to do is take you on a journey over the next six weeks and really help you figure out the area of relationships. And here's the big idea. This is the big idea for the series. We are way too impacted by the world's thinking. They are programming us into a philosophy of relationships that will never work. The world's way of relationships will never work. God has a standard. And what I want to do the next six weeks is reprogram you with God's word. I want to reset your standards with God's word. The teenagers are going to be joining us for the first three weeks of this series uh, because we really want people to hear the information on relationships, on God's way of doing things and really help us reprogram. And what I want you to do is, is one of the keys is do not assess yourself where you're at right now. Don't assess yourself right now because some of you may be in a situation where you feel like there's no hope, you're broken, you're giving up, you don't know what to do. Don't assess things right now. Go on this six-week journey with us. Learn God's standard. Learn how to reprogram. Learn how to rethink according to God's word in the area of relationships. Don't let your feelings lead. Make some choices. Let your actions lead and your feelings will follow. So just give us six weeks. Don't assess things right now and go on this journey with us. Let me give you a little history on the book Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. Solomon wrote three books in the Bible. He wrote the book of Proverbs. He wrote uh, the most of the book of Proverbs. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes later in his life after he made a whole bunch of mistakes and did a bunch of things wrong. And then he wrote the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. The reason we say Song of Songs is the chapter one verse one it says the song of songs of solomon first kings tells us that solomon wrote 1005 songs and out of, out of all thousand and five songs this was the song of songs we say king of kings and lord of lords meaning he's the greatest king out of all the kings of the greatest lord out of all the lords this was the greatest song solomon wrote out of all one thousand five songs This is the Song of Songs, the greatest one he wrote. And many people today are saying, well, why in the world would we be studying Solomon for relationships? Isn't that the guy that had 700 wives and 300 concubines? What do we have to learn from Solomon? Well, let me explain to you a little bit of history and and, and, and kind of what's going on. Historians believe he wrote Ecclesiastes at the end of his life after he made a whole bunch of mistakes. Uh, they tell us Solomon was the original sex addict or porn addict. That's why he got way off the deep end later in life.
in life, had all the wives, all the concubines, made a lot of mistakes. And that's why the book of Ecclesiastes is full of his mistakes. It's full of his despair and his hopelessness. And I've done a whole bunch of stuff wrong and I feel empty in life. Many historians believe Song of Songs is one of the first books he wrote earlier in his life when he was getting things right, when he was, when he was living out relationships right. It was, it was really, a lot of people believe, his first relationship, his first wife, and he was doing things according to God's plan. And so there's a lot to say here. Now, you can't discount somebody because they finish badly. If they started good, he had something to say. And... The other big clue of why we need to study this is because out of all the songs he wrote, this is the song that actually made it in the Bible. This is one of the songs that God made into Holy Scripture so we can study it today and really see what God has to say. So let me give you some ground rules for this series. Ground rule number one, listen for yourself. No elbows, no, no, come on, you need to hear this, honey, listen for yourself. You're going to hear a lot of stuff, and you're going to say to yourself, I am so glad my spouse is listening to this right now. I'm so glad my husband is hearing this. No, 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 listen for, let the Holy Spirit deal with them. You listen for yourself today. Ground rule number two, you're going to hear God's standard. You're going to hear a lot about God's standard through this series. And you're going to compare it to yourself and some of the mistakes you've made in life. And you're going to get discouraged. You're going to think, I've blown it. I've messed up. Uh, I'm already waiting. No, listen, Jesus makes all things new. Jesus will give you a mulligan. He's full of grace. He'll give you a do-over. Don't worry about the mistakes you made yesterday. Apply God's standard today and move forward because it's going to be really easy in a series like this for Satan to come in with a whole lot of condemnation, a whole lot of guilt, and try to beat you up. Don't worry about yesterday. Take God's standard. Apply it today. Third rule. This is a PG-13 series. If you have a child 12 and under, this is a great chance to check out our wonderful children's ministry. We've got some of the greatest dream team members over there. This is going to be spicy. This is going to be hot. If you have a child that's a little bit more mature, then we invite them to stay with us. We want all of our middle school students in here for the next couple of weeks. And you may be thinking, why in the world would you want our teenagers to listen to some of these messages? Trust me, they're hearing much worse at school. They're hearing much worse at school. And we want them to hear God's standard from the house of God because we think God has something to say in these areas and in these subjects. And then lastly, this is written as a poem or an allegory. There's a lot of symbolism here. And so let me do the hard work. I'm going to dig into the culture for you and kind of help you understand and explain some of the symbolism and some of the the kind of allegory in this story. Because if you take it literally and you go home and you try this stuff with your wife, you're not going to get very far. Especially if you go home and you try to tell her that her, her belly looks like a barrel of wheat. That's not going to do well for you. Let me give you some excerpts just to show you what I mean. I, I love this. Here, here you go. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Don't say that. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of your teeth is alone. Meaning they do not work at the state fair. Some of you will get that later. I've never seen anyone at a state fair not missing a tooth. Your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. 
Your neck is like the tower of David, built with courses of stone. On it hang thousands of shields and on the shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twins of the gazelle that browse among the lilies. And that has a really cool meaning that you're going to learn week three. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb. My bride, milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. Now, that's not a compliment today. Lebanon doesn't smell very good. Here it is. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Beth And your nose is like the tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. So again, there's a lot of symbolism here. Let me do the hard work because if we took this literally, she would look like this. And she's not that beautiful if she looks like this. So let me do some of the hard work for you. There's three characters in this story. You have Solomon, who is the lover. You have the beloved or the wife or the fiance. And then you have this chorus of friends. It's like some cheerleaders that get around and they cheer them on throughout this story. We're going to go through six weeks of this because it's really broken up into six distinct sections. Today we're talking about the art of attraction. Next week is going to be one of the best messages of the series. We're talking about biblical courting versus dating. You play like you practice. You know, we have this, this philosophy philosophy of dating in the world that just doesn't work. And really, when you think about it, dating, all it is is preparation for divorce. I like you. I like you. I don't like you. I like you. I like you. I don't like you. I like you. I like you. I don't like you. And you're going to play like you practice. And so we want to look at God's standard for relationships before marriage next week. It's going to be good. Week three, write it down, men. May 26. We have a message titled Great Sex. I don't know how I'm going to get through that week. It's going to be hot. A lot of people are thinking, why in the world will you teach on sex in the house of God? Well, let me give you two reasons. One, the Bible has a lot of material on it. There is a lot in the Bible about having a healthy sex life. And let me give you Satan's goal for you. Satan's goal is to get you to have sex before you're married and to get you to stop having sex after you're married. That's Satan's goal for your life. God's goal is the exact opposite. Stay pure before you're married and have hot, passionate sex after you're married. And we're going to talk about getting the heat and the passion back into our marriages because the Bible does have a lot of stuff to say about it in this chapter. Lionel Richie, as I said last week, is not the first person to say all night long. That's in the Bible. Bible said it first. Week four. Man, I'm already getting nervous about that week already. Week four, we get into the first fight as a newlywed couple. They fight for two chapters. We're going to talk about how to fight as Christians. Uh, week five, we're talking about their love matures and become self-sacrificing. And then the last chapter of Song of Solomon, week six, is all about covenant and commitment. So if you look at your notes today, I did not fill them up. There's a lot of blank space there for you. Why? Because I want you to take notes that apply to you. This series will apply to everyone. This series will apply to single people. It'll apply to married people. It'll apply to grandparents. This will apply to everybody in the room. So I left a lot of blank space so that you can take notes on what applies to you. Because the greatest thing for you to write down today is not what I say. You can, you can get the podcast for that. The greatest thing to write down is what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about what we're teaching today. So let's jump into it. Song of Psalms chapter one, verse one. Solomon's Song of Songs are the best song. Uh, She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is more delightful than wine. That's one of my goals this series for you is that you become such an incredible lover that your love, the Bible says, is more delightful than wine. There is a way for you to become a lover, according to the Bible, where your love becomes more delight. And I'm not just talking about marriage. I'm talking about friendships. I'm talking about family relationships. We just want the, the, we, we want 
want to be people that people love to be around. Because there is a love inside of us. There is a glow inside of us that comes from God where the world is attracted to us. Our love becomes better than wine. Verse 3, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name or your, your reputation, your character is like perfume poured out. Now, the perfume it's talking about here is the expensive kind, the high quality kind. Uh, For example, it's like if you heard the term extra virgin olive oil, extra virgin olive oil is olive oil that comes out of the first pressing. It's extra virgin. It's not, you know, the last pressing where you're trying to squeeze every, it's not common, just trying to squeeze whatever you can get out of it. It's special. It's set apart. It's the, the first pressing and i think that could have been a great title for this message extra virgin because i think we need to get back to the place as people of god where we become extra virgin in every area of our life we become set apart we become holy we don't just common like the people of the world but there's something different about us we have different standards different character different integrity it says no wonder the maidens love you She's saying, listen, no wonder all the girls love you. You're special. But she says, they can't have you. You're mine. Then we get into the teaching. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. And then all the friends chime in. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. I love that. And then she says, how right they are to adore you. How right they are to adore you. Today, we're talking about the art of attraction. I want you to learn how to be attracted to the right things. I want you to learn how to be attracted, the order of attraction as believers. And let me, let, me, let me show you how this applies. If you are not married today, I want to teach you what to look for in the opposite sex. If you're not married today, I want, I want to teach you what you need to be looking for. What's number one? What's number two? What's number three? If you're single, I want to teach you what makes you attractive. I want to help you become attractive to the opposite sex. If you'll focus on the order of attraction, if you'll, if you'll focus on number one being the most attractive part of your life and the number two being the next attraction and number three being the third attraction, you will become incredibly attractive as a person. And then married people, I want to teach you how to stay attractive. You worked really hard to get married and then a lot of you got lazy. You know what I'm saying? You worked really, really hard to get yourself into marriage and then you kind of took your foot off the gas pedal, and I want you to stay attractive as married people. I want you to stay attractive to your spouse. Stay attractive to the person you gave yourself to on the altar. Stay attractive as people, because you took a lot of effort into it, and the world's staying attractive. And let me tell you, Satan has a strategy to destroy your marriage. Satan is positioning people who are staying attractive, trying to do everything he can to destroy your marriage. And you need to fight for your marriage. You need to, you need to maintain your marriage. You don't, you don't, don't just fight for it when your marriage is falling apart. Do it now while it's good. Stay attractive now while your marriage is good so that you don't have to worry about dealing with the issues when it's falling apart. So let's jump into the message today. Verse 5. She says, dark, I, dark am I. Now, I know for us in our culture, that's a good thing, right? You know, she's going to the tanning bed. She's looking tan. She's looking good. No, no, no. Dark is not a good thing back then. Dark is is an unattractive thing. If you were dark, it meant you were working out in the sun. You had rough skin. The paler you were, the more attractive you were in this age. So what she's saying is physically, I'm not that beautiful. Uh, I'm not physically attractive. Dark am I. I'm not one of the beautiful people. So she's saying, don't let my body be the first thing you look at. Don't, don't look at my body because dark am I. I'm not that physically attractive yet lovely 
Daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, which would be very, very dark, almost pitch black. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. Again, don't focus on my body. Don't focus on, uh, on, on the physical. Don't just look at my... There's something so much more than just the physical looks. Because here's a girl who's struggling with self-image. She knows she's not that physically attractive. But she goes on. My mother's sons... And here, here the reason why she's not that attractive. My mother's sons, basically her stepbrothers, were angry with me. And made me take care of the vineyard. She's out working in the fields... While my own vineyard I neglected. Now, vineyard uh, in this story is symbolic of your body. She's basically saying, you know, I'm out working on other people's vineyards while my own body um, neglecting. She said, I had to neglect. Verse 7, tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midnight. And let me show you, this is where we get into why she is attractive. Why this incredible guy Solomon likes her. She says, why should I be like the veiled women? Beside the flocks of your friends. Now a veiled woman in this story. Back in this culture and time period. Would have been a prostitute. She's saying why should I be like. Those girls who just give themselves to everybody. I'm not going to just give my body away. To every guy that comes around. I'm going to save myself. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to walk in. She's basically saying I've got some character. I've got some standards. I've got some purity. I'm not going to be like the veiled women who are just giving themselves away to everybody that comes around. I'm saving myself. I've got, and Solomon likes that. Solomon likes the fact that she's just not out offering herself to everybody that comes around. I'm not being like the veiled woman. And here, here it goes. She says, listen, I'm not that physically attractive, but I'll tell you why Solomon, this incredible king, likes me because I'm spiritually attractive. And that's number one, spiritual attraction. Number one is you need to focus on spiritual attraction. Do they love God? Is God first? And do they've got some character, some standards? See, Solomon looks at her and says, there's a woman that knows God. There's a woman who respects herself. She's not acting like the veiled woman. She's got some standards. She's got some, some characters. So let me, let me say, sir, get your hands off her. Get your, if you like it, put a ring on it. Sorry. I heard the guy last week really knew pop songs and could sing really well. I don't know pop songs and I can't sing. I'm kind of like uh, a square in that, that regards. First thing to look for, somebody that loves and honors God. Find somebody that loves and honors God. How did you get Solomon? I didn't act like the veiled woman. Solomon said, I can live with somebody like that. I can live with, find somebody that loves and honors God. Men, if you want to stay attractive in marriage, let, let, me, let me give you some advice. Become the spiritual leader in your family. There's not a woman in here that doesn't want her man to be a spiritual leader in the home. You know, so if you'd get your hands out of your pockets during worship and at least just, just give a little bit during worship to God. I mean, just, just at least get to the, to, to the holding the baby position. Just holding the baby, holding the baby. I'm, I'm telling you, your woman's going to look at you and say, man, what is going on here? I'm seeing some love for God in this guy and you're going to become attractive. I'm telling you, spiritual attraction is one of the most powerful attractions and married people. You need this. I mean, you get to the whole, then you, you get to the, my fish is this big eventually. Before you know it, you can go touchdown another day, but, but just, just start the prize. You say, well, that's just not me. Well, it's not about you. I mean, I'm aware of the love languages book. I mean, no, God has a love language and his love language is worship. 
His worship is not what you want to give God. It's what God wants you to give him because he has a love language. He's the one that put in God's word. Paul said, lift up holy hands. You know, so don't don't get mad at me because I'm saying this. This is how God wants to be loved. And if you'll start loving and honoring God and you'll start putting God first, I'm telling you, you're going to get your attraction back and people are going to begin to notice you. Spiritual attraction should be first. Second thing, get someone that is connected to their God-given purpose. I mean, find somebody that knows what they're created for and that is going for it. Marry a couple. If you want to get the passion back in your marriage, start serving God together. Find a place on the dream team. Start doing something for the kingdom of God. And you're going to see some heat come back into your relationship when you begin to serve. There's nothing like leading a small group, getting into a huge fight at home. You got 20 people coming over. I mean, you've got some incentive to work it out. I mean, there's some incentive there to get things. I mean, if you don't have any, if you're not, if you're not fulfilling God's dream for your life, that fight can go on for weeks, you know, but if you've got incentive, you're going to work things out. You need, you need to get connected to your God given purpose. Get somebody that has godly standards. I mean, MC Hammer said it best. You can't touch this. I mean, you want somebody with some godly standards and and young people. Let me tell you, when you get into a relationship, you need to have that conversation early. You need to let them know early where things are not going to go. We are not going to go here because I guarantee if you don't have that conversation, things are going to go there. And you're going to become like the veiled woman. You're going to become common. You're going to become like, like everybody else. You're not going to be set apart and holy and with some godly standards and character. In a few weeks, we want to have a purity night where all the young people that want to make a commitment to purity. We want to have a night where the parents are going to present them purity rings and we're going to pray over them. And we're going to commit ourselves to some godly standards as single people. You know, we don't want to live like the world standard. We don't want to live according to what Hollywood is putting on us. You know, right now on television, 90% of sexual encounters that happen on television happen outside of marriage. 90% of sexual encounters on television happen outside of marriage. What are they trying to teach us? Well, what are they trying to communicate and program us with? That everyone's doing it, that it's, that it's no big deal, that it's just the way things are. They don't show you all the brokenness. They don't show you all the pain. They don't show you all the diseases. They don't show you all the, 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 the damaged pieces that they're leaving behind. What are they trying to tell us? See, uh, this is a lot better preaching than you're responding today. I'm just going to tell you. You may call me old-fashioned. You may call me prude, but I'm trying to save some kids in here. I'm trying to save some people so we don't always have to. And listen, we are a church. We will deal with the statistics when they come, but let's prevent them. Let's prevent him. I'm trying to reset you. I'm trying to reprogram you. Let's, let's look at the second attraction here. Verse 9. He said, I liken you, my darling. My darling. Now, what is darling? In the Hebrew, the word darling is raya. Raya. Which basically means you are my intimate companion. You are my best friend. I mean, he's looking at some friendship here. He's not just just looking at the physical. He's saying, listen, I I don't just like you for your body. I want to be around you. You're you're my friend. You're my you're my companion. I've got I've got somebody here that I want to hang out with. I want to spend some time with you. So we've got relationships that are built on all the wrong things. And we need to get back to some godly friendship. We need to get, what do you call your wife? What do you call your husband? Is it, is it a friend? Is it an intimate uh, term of endearment? Let me explain it like this. Marriage is not romance garnished with friendship. Marriage is friendship garnished with romance. And the deepest, most passionate, hot romance you will ever experience in marriage is built on a foundation of friendship. 
It's built on a foundation of friendship. You try to build your marriage on romance, good luck. You're going to be in a whole world of hurt and pain, and you're probably not going to make it very long. But if you'll build your marriage on some friendship, uh, on some real deep friendship, that makes, that makes the passion all the more exciting. And the problem is too many of us would rather be out golfing with our buddies or surfing with our buddies or shopping with our girlfriends than we really would building a friendship between each other. Verse 9, he says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. Don't call her a mare. But basically what this means, chariots of Pharaoh's is she was quality. She, she, she had some depth to her. She wasn't just any old chariot, any old, any old mare. She was a quality. She was the best of the best. She had some, some, some inner beauty going on here. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings. Your neck with strings of jewel. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My lover is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. I don't know what a sachet of myrrh is, but I'm sure he was glad he was one right there. I'm just kidding. I tried that joke all week long. I tried it last night. My wife told me, do not say it today. I blew it again. It did not work. Let me explain to you literally what that means. Literally, it means she's thinking about him all night long. You're not with me, but I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about you all night long. My lover is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. That's a beautiful little red flower. The second attraction we see here is emotional attraction. The first thing was spiritual attraction. This is emotional attraction. They've got a friendship going on. You need to relearn the art of friendship and the art of emotional attraction. Let me tell you, married people, keep winning what you've won. You worked really hard to win that girl, to win that guy before you got married, and then you laid off. Keep winning what you won. Let me give you some great advice. Don't date before you're married. Date after you're married. Start dating after you get married and date all the time, man. When you get married, take that girl out on a date all the time. Date more than your date more after you're married. Keep winning what you've won. You got to build a friendship. You got to have a friend in life. And I'll be honest, this is probably one of my wife and I, we, we struggled with this for years because we just lived a busy life and we didn't prioritize this and, and didn't prioritize our friendship. And we, we, we wound up in a whole world of pain and a whole world of hurt because we didn't have a strong friendship going. And it's just been the last couple of years that we've really been working hard and relearning this area in our marriage. And I can't even begin to describe how powerful it is when you build a friendship in your marriage, when you find somebody that you really want to be around, that you love to hang out with when they become your best friend marriage is amazing another thing get rid of all the harsh words get rid of all the harsh words in your in your marriage in your relationship don't be harsh with one another and young people if you're dating let me tell you something get around that guy and his mama and look at the way he talks to his mom because he's going to talk to you the same way Look at the way she treats her dad because she will treat you the same way. You need to, you need to get around their family. You need to date them long enough for the, the, the sweet talk to wear off and see what they really are talking about, and what they really have to say. And let, let, me, let me give another warning out there. there. For a married couple, there's someone out there who's willing to sweet talk your spouse. I guarantee it. I guarantee there's someone out there that Satan has put out there to sweet talk your spouse. And I am convinced today the biggest reason for adultery in America. Now, there are some exceptions. People messed up childhoods and addictions. But the number one reason for adultery today is is has nothing to do with sex. It's a lack of affirmation. They're getting affirmed somewhere else. 
They've got, the, they've got this emotional vacuum in their life that's being filled by somebody outside of their marriage. And that's because 90% of adulteries, they'll tell you, catch people completely blindsided. They, they never expected, they never, they never thought it would lead there. It's because there's an emotional vacuum. There's an affirmation vacuum. You need to make sure you are affirming your spouse. You are, because Satan will put somebody out there to affirm them. I mean, Sally goes to work and does a, does a report. And John's like, man, Sally, that was a great report. Really? You think it was good? Yeah, that was awesome. Really? You think I'm awesome? And then all of a sudden it begins. Why? Because there's this huge, va- when's the last time you made a major emotional deposit in your marriage? You, you made a, ma- and, and, and let me, let me, let me teach you a little bit about affirmation for a woman. It's all about affirming her qualities for, for who she is. You know, for a man, it's all about affirming his abilities. What, you know, what, what he does, learning to affirm, affirm his, his abilities and strength. That's why a woman can stand in front of a mirror, look, drop dead gorgeous, and find a flaw. Every time they can find a flaw. A man, he can stand in front of a marriage, overweight, balding, and man, he can, he, he, you know, what's up? I mean, he, he'll look good anytime he wants to look good. He can just bring it out. I mean, men just don't have the self-esteem issues in front of a mirror like women do. Men want to be affirmed for our abilities. I remember the other day I was over at our prayer pastor's house and, and your pastor actually changed his own brakes on his car. I mean, John helped me, but, I, but I, I'm out there with all the tools getting greasy. And I felt so good that I, that I changed my own brakes on my car. I mean, I, as soon as I got done, I called my wife. I wanted to brag about how incredible I was. I mean, you know, men, we want to be recognized for the things we do, even if it's something as little as changing the brakes. I called her. I said, baby, I changed the brakes on our car. She goes, well, you better drive around for three days before you let Asher in there to make sure they work. It's like, okay. Telling you, telling you, affirm the right things or somebody else will. So first off, spiritual attraction. And I'm going to give spiritual attraction 75%. 75%, that's the weight of spiritual attraction. Emotional attraction, I'm going to give it 20%. And then lastly is physical attraction. I'm only going to give that 5% because that's all it's worth is 5%. You need to be focusing on the spiritual. If they don't love God, you walk away. If they don't have a heart for God, you walk away. If you can't be friends with them, you walk away. Physical needs to be the very last thing you look for in somebody. And if you want to be attractive, then you focus on the spiritual. You focus on the emotional. That's what makes you attractive, not the physical. Physical, man, they're never going to look as good as they looked the day they got married. They were months to look that good. It ain't, you know, it's all downhill from there, I'm telling you. I mean, if you, if, I, I know you hate me for saying it, but if you build your marriage on that, you're building your marriage on a moving target. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you. But if you'll focus on the first two, she'll always be physically beautiful to you. I'm telling you, you, you see her character, you see the spiritual, you see the emotional friendship. She will always be physically beautiful to you if you build it on the right foundation. That's, that's the beauty. When you have that great friendship, she's always going to be physically beautiful to you. You will find her the most attractive person in the world if you have a deep friendship and you respect her character. And men, same thing about you. So let's, let's look at verse 15. How beautiful you are finally getting into the physical. My darling, how beautiful your eyes are. Your eyes are doves. How handsome you are, my lover. Oh, how charming. Our bed is verdant. The beams of our house are cedars and our rafters are firs. So physical attraction. I want you to notice that. Look look at the structure of this house. He's saying, yes, yes, there is this beauty that she has, but the beams are cedars and firs. He's basically saying it's built on the right thing. 
It's not just that she's physically beautiful, but she's got some inner beauty. She's got some spiritual beauty. She's got some emotional beauty. Her physical is built on the right foundation. Because if if, if you try to go physical without building on the right foundation, you're going to have problems. And that's why May 26th, we're going to talk about the physical. You know, again, May 26th, we're going to be talking about how you can release some fire and passion back into the physical area. And it's going to it's going to get a little hot that week. I'm already a little nervous just thinking about it. If I can just get through that Sunday, I'll be okay. But I love what Rick Warren said. Rick Warren said it takes a real man to be married to the same woman for 30 years and keep it exciting. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It takes a real man of integrity, a real man of character to be married to the same woman for 30 years and keep it exciting. And that's what we want at Coastline Church. We want some real men of integrity, some real men of character that know how to keep things hot in their marriage. But, but, but you got to build it on the right foundation. And again, if you'll build on the spiritual and you'll build on the emotional, the physical will always be there. I tell you, this year I'm celebrating my eight-year anniversary in just a couple months. Eight years with my wife. And she was drop-dead gorgeous the day we got married. But you know what? Today she's even more beautiful to me. She's even more beautiful. But I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. It's her character. It's her character. She has shown me the love of Jesus Christ and demonstrated the grace of Christ more than any woman I know. And she is so incredibly beautiful because of her character. Her character made her physically far more beautiful to me than anything else. I'm telling you, if you don't look at the right things and you don't build on the right things, the physical is a moving target. You know, you try to build your relationship on the physical, you're in trouble. And we need to get beyond the lie of magazine covers because they are airbrushed. They are airbrushed. They are not as perfect as you think they are. I mean, there, there are issues there. We are, we are, as a culture, setting unobtainable expectations that are driving men to pornography, that are driving women to eating disorders, and we need to realign ourselves back to God's Word. I, I, I know this is going to be a tough series for some of you. I know that some of you are going to call me old-fashioned, but I'm trying to pastor you right now. I'm trying to get you back to God's standard. And I love chapter 2. Here's this girl struggling with insecurities. Here's this girl struggling with her her physical appearance. She's saying, listen, I'm not that physically beautiful. I'm not that physically attractive. But because of the way Solomon treats her, she goes on to say, I am a rose of Sharon. She's now feeling beautiful because of the way Solomon treats her. Because of the way Solomon treats her. And let me tell you something, married couples. You have the ability in marriage to reprogram and reset your spouse's identity and self-esteem. It's the only human relationship that has this ability. They could have been programmed their entire childhood. You're no good. You're ugly. You're worthless. When, they, when you get married, you as a husband, you have a wife, have the ability to reset that identity with the power of God. You need to choose your words very carefully in your marriage. You need to choose your words very carefully so that you are reprogrammed, you are, re- you are cherishing, you are honoring. Here's this girl who, who had insecurity. She doesn't feel like she's that good looking. She's dark. And here she is calling herself a rose of Sharon because of the way Solomon treats her. Verse 5, she says, strengthen me with raisins. Now, raisins were an aphrodisiac. Basically, she's saying, listen, come to bed with me. She's just, you know, she's feeling good. She's feeling love. She says, come to bed with me. Refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Basically, they're lying down. And then all of a sudden, Solomon goes, time out. We're not going there. And what I love about this story, it's the man that says time out, not the woman. It's the man that says, you know what? We're not going there. We're not going there. Men, I'm putting this on you. I know it takes two, but I'm putting it on the men of our church. You need to be the standard bearers. 
you need to be men of honor and men of integrity. If you're single, you need to be the guy that says, nope, time out. We're not, this is something we are not going to do until the day we get married. We're stopping. We're stopping. And, and it's time for men to stand up to their rightful place and be men of honor and men of integrity again and learn how to carry standards. And then she goes on to say, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Basically, don't start something that shouldn't happen till after marriage. Don't arouse something that, that you have to stop. Right feeling, wrong season. We're going to learn about that next week. Right feeling, wrong season. Don't arouse it. It, don't arouse it before if it's the wrong season don't arouse it let it develop god's way and let me just say god's way works god's way works god's way works you'll never have a perfect marriage you know we learned yesterday in our marriage conference that god designed marriage for conflict you know if you have a marriage without conflict you don't have a godly marriage I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Marriage, there's going to be conflicts in marriage. That's why we, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how to fight right. You know, because they, they get to fight. Two chapters they're fighting in Song of Solomon. We're going to talk about how to fight. Because, because we are going to fight as married people, but there's a right way to fight and a wrong way to fight. There's going to be con- There's not going to be a perfect marriage. But I will tell you, God's way works. God's standards work. And what I want to do this next six weeks is I want to reapply ourselves to God's word, reapply ourselves to God's standards. And I want to get our marriages back. I want to get them hot. I want to get them passionate. I want to get them spicy because I think we should have the greatest marriages. And I think the world should be jealous of our marriages. I really, that's what Psalm Psalm is all about. Let the fragrance be just, you know, let your love be be more enticing than wine. I I would love your unsafe married friends to say that about your marriage, man. We want a marriage like yours because your marriage is hot. Your marriage is good. And say, well, listen, you got to get God. God's got to be the centerpiece. God's got to be center. That's what 1 John is all about. We love. We have the capacity to love. Why? Because God first loves us. So if you don't have God's love inside of you, you're never going to have a truly great marriage. You're never really going to be able to love your children. You're never really going to be able to love your wife. You're never going to really be able to love anybody if God's love first doesn't rest in you. So... Really, the starting point for this series is to make sure you have God's love. Make sure you're part of God's family. Make sure God's first and foremost. God's the priority. God's the, do you build your life around God or is God just something you squeeze into your schedule? You know, is church just something you squeeze into your busy schedule? Or do you build your life around God and the things of God? What's most important in your life? Either God is Lord of all or, or he's not Lord at all. I mean, if God is truly who God is, God can't be second place in your life. He can't be third place in your life. He can't be fourth place in your life. God is either first in your life or he's nothing. God is not a wristwatch. God is not a handbag. He's not an accessory to your life. He's either the Lord of your life or he's nothing. And you have to decide, where, what is God to you today? Is God the driving force of your life? Or is church just a good thing you do because you're trying to be a good person and, you know, you need to go to church every once in a while. And again, I'm not asking you to to commit to a church. I'm asking you to commit to a God. Because it's not about a church. It's about a God that loves you. And what what I always tell our church about God is God does not want to be your religion. He wants to be your dad. God's building a family and he desperately wants you to be a part of it. So would you close your eyes with me just for a moment and bow your heads? I want to say a very simple prayer. 
of inviting God to be first place in our life and really becoming part of God's family so that we can receive his love and have the ability to give his love, which is perfect. You can try to give your own love, but your own love will will always be fragile. It'll always have flaws. Or you can really learn how to receive God's love, be a part of his family, and then truly be able to give his love to your children, to your spouse, to to the people around you. And so today, if you're sitting there and, and you'd say to yourself, you know what, God's not first in my life. He's not the priority of my life. I don't build my life around God. God's not a thought that I think about often, daily. But I really feel challenged today that I need to make a decision to put God first in my life. We're going to say a very simple prayer. I'm not going to single you out. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or embarrass you in any way. But if you would like to join me in that prayer this morning with every eye closed, would you just slip up your hand and say, I'd like to join you this morning in that prayer. Just slip up your hand quickly so that I can see it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. You can put your hands down. The prayer is simple. Now, you can say this prayer to yourself. God can hear your thoughts. You don't even need to say it out loud. But the first part of the prayer is I want you, just in your own words right now, just to say, God, I invite you to take first place in my life. Just, just in your own way, say, God, I invite you to take first place in my life. The second part of that prayer is, would you just say, God, forgive me. I've made mistakes and I just need your forgiveness this morning. We've all made mistakes. I'm the worst sinner here. So we've all had to ask for forgiveness. And then the last part of that prayer, would you just say thank you? Would you just say, God, thank you. Now, if you prayed that prayer this morning, I would encourage you to do one more thing on your own. You can look up. On your connection card in your worship guide, there's two boxes. One says, I'm committing my life to Christ. One says, I'm renewing my commitment to Christ. If you've made one of those decisions this morning, I encourage you to check that. You can drop it off in one of the tithe and offering boxes as you leave. We want to connect with you and give you the tools to walk out that decision in your life. If, if you don't have a Mother's Day lunch plan, I'd love to have lunch with you. We're going to meet in the family center right after service. We're going to talk about the essentials of Christianity. It's a great class for you to go through to get started. It's an hour long. We'll have lunch taken care of. We also have these books outside that say, now what? Many times when people put God first in their life, the natural question is now what? Well, this book is just a very simple, short guide of taking the next steps of putting God first. And then lastly, we have Bibles available. If any of you do not have a Bible, I encourage you to please take a Bible today. It is our gift to you. We, we, we desperately want every person to have a Bible. You can, you can read the whole Song of Songs in about 20, 30 minutes. It's, it's right in here. We'd love you to read it with us as we're on this journey together. But we want to get the Word of God into your life. Would you stand with me as we close? Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray blessing over the relationships in our church. Blessing over the marriages, blessing over the parents, blessing over the children, the brothers and sisters, the friendships. Just teach us, God, out of your word, the standards we need to be living by. Teach us how to reprogram and reset ourselves to what your word teaches and not not to the, the standards of this world. Because we know that your word produces incredible fruit and the world produces brokenness and pain. So let us and teach us reprogram ourselves.
in the name of Jesus through the next six weeks. Amen. Have a wonderful week and a wonderful Mother's Day.